This podcast is a Tucker Media production. For more information, head to tuckermedia.com.au. Welcome to the Change Room Podcast, a whiff of well-being with Minnie and Matt. Hey, Maddie, we're really getting the hang of this podcast caper, aren't we? So we better get our next guest on to step into the change room. Mate, I'm really looking forward to it, Minnie. I can't wait, but I've got to really thank all our listeners for our positive feedback on Freddie's interview. It was, it was a great conversation. He had so much to share. And I've got to say, things have gone another level. Dr. Ron Ehrlich today, what an incredible guest he is. Amazing. What he shared, the great tips and tricks the listeners that we're going to get from this podcast, I can't wait for the guys to hear it. Right, oh, mate. Well, let's dip in with Dr. Ron and let's show people his whiff of well-being in the change room. Well, Dr. Ron Ehrlich, uh, welcome to the Change Room Podcast. Thanks, guys. It's a pleasure no to worries. be here. No worries. I might just give uh, a little background to yourself for our listeners. Um, so Dr. Ron Ehrlich is a holistic dentist and one of Australia's leading holistic health advocates, co-founder of the Holistic Dental Centre in Sydney CBD for over 35 years, uh, having received his fellowship from the Australasian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine in 1996, he went on to serve on the board and as vice president of the college. He's co-founder and board member of Nourishing Australia, a non-for-profit organisation dedicated to promoting nutritional and environmental health. He also co-hosted for three years an award-winning weekly podcast called The Good Doctors, where they looked at health and wellness and disease uh, from a holistic perspective. And more recently, uh, your own podcast, Unstress, which I listen to uh, all the time, uh, and as well as doing lots of presentations and workshops. Uh, welcome, mate. Uh, you're a busy man. <laughs> Thanks. So, gee, it sounds quite impressive, actually. I think <laughs> I, have, I, have to, I have to meet this guy. <laughs> mate, we only have impressive people on this show. So, And again, I want to reinforce what Anthony said. It's an absolute pleasure having you on. I'd probably like to start with a... Just a one that we always ease people into it. What, what's what's the one thing you've done today to, to improve your personal health and, and, and state? Yeah, well, that's a that's an easy one because it's what I really do almost every day that I focus on and it starts at around 9.30 the night before and it's ensuring that I get a really good night's sleep. Sleep is without a doubt your built-in uh, non-negotiable life support system and every measure of health, be it physical, mental, emotional, is improved with a consistently good night's sleep. And that's that's what I focus on. I'm usually up at 5.30 if I have a big sleep in 6 o'clock. And so working backwards from that, um, that's what I do. That's what I try and focus on and make a priority each and every day. And it sets me up pretty well. So when we talk about sleep, and I, I would probably ask you this a little bit later, and sorry, sorry to take you off on a tangent already, Sleep comes in a lot of different varieties, doesn't it? Some people really talk about duration and then I hear other people talk about quality of sleep. Where does your focus lie with that? Well, a consistently good night's sleep, and that's really important, that word consistently, uh, is a function of both quantity and quality, Matt. Um, for ninety over 90% of the population, that means seven to nine hours of sleep a night. And uh, what's really interesting is... Uh, when people don't sleep, when people sleep for three or four hours a night, they know they're not getting enough sleep. It's the group that sleeps six hours a night that's the most interesting because they think they're getting enough sleep, but they actually perform just as badly 
on almost every measure as the group that sleeps three to four hours a night. And I know this myself from personal experience because up until 20 years ago, I used to be a person that would do all my best work once the kids were asleep and I would want to get together, you know, connect with my wife because this was when the, we had time and I'd work and once I sat at my desk, I could be there till 12 o'clock at night or 1 o'clock and I always woke up at 6, so do the maths on that. So for the first 40 years of my life, um, I was getting six hours sleep. And the difference that it's made to me in the last 25 years, because now I'm just about to uh, celebrate my 65th birthday next week, oh. and I have, I've got so much more energy, I'm so much more productive. So quantity is one aspect of it, but putting your head on the pillow is not enough. You've got to breathe well while you're asleep, and that's the quality. So you can't separate the two. You've got to be breathing well while you sleep because sleep is about rebuilding and rebooting and, uh, and, and your system, both physically and mentally, and you need to have the energy to do that and you need to be absorbing your oxygen properly while you're asleep. So, so do, you, do you look of, at REM and deep sleep um, as an indicator most mornings as well? Or? Yeah, well, look, uh, you know, sleep, a, a, a sleep cycle... Um, there are there are five stages of sleep. The first four stages are, are what's called non-REM, non-rapid eye movement. And yep. stage stage one is you're dozing off. Stage two is you're asleep. It's when you get into the deeper levels of stage three and four non-REM sleep that the really good stuff happens. Mm. And then you go into the fifth stage, which is REM sleep, where a lot of dreaming occurs. And that's where we sort things out emotionally and mentally it's a really important part. So that whole cycle of five stages takes 90 minutes about, and you should cycle through four or five of those every single night. Now, if you're not getting into the deeper levels of non-REM sleep, <clears throat> you're really not getting the benefits. And if you don't get into REM sleep, mentally you start to really feel it. So it's the, the, a consistently good night's sleep is a function of all of those things. Yeah, I, I really know. I track my sleep uh, every night with uh, my Fitbit and I really notice if I don't get um, uh, over an hour deep sleep, I can notice it in my cognitive function throughout the day and just the tiredness. If, if I get over an hour and, and most times well over an hour, then I'm just so much energy throughout the day. There's no afternoon crashes and, and things like that. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, you know, we could we could just talk about all the benefits of a consistently good night's sleep for the next hour yeah, or two. Yeah, hu <laughs> it's huge. It really is. Yeah. So, so maybe before we do move on then, let's maybe explore what the consequences of not sleeping well, what, what happens with that? Because I, th I think that if we've started the conversation, I, I think that's just as pertinent as what the benefits are of, of a good night's sleep. If you do not get a consistently good night's sleep, it affects your hormones and your hormones help regulate your body. So your cortisol levels, your stress hormones go up and, uh, and if you are in, in stress mode, you, you are not going to be um, absorbing your nutrients, no matter how well your diet is, what great supplements you are. Yep. Um, it also affects your insulin levels. Uh, insulin resistance goes up, so it makes you more susceptible to diabetes. In fact, after a week of not sleeping well, you almost could have a blood chemistry that reflects pre-diabetics. There are other hormones called leptin, which help you metabolise fat, 
that goes down. So you're storing more fat. There's another hormone called ghrelin in your stomach, which tells you you're hungry and that goes up. So that's why when you're tired, you make some pretty irrational decisions. It's not just that you're weak. It's that your hormone levels have gone out of whack. Your DNA is affected. So um, that part of your DNA, which upregulates chronic inflammation, goes crazy. Um, that part of your immune, the DNA that regulates your immune system goes down. So you're far more susceptible to disease and you certainly wouldn't recover from injury as well. Um, what else? There's a part of your brain called the amygdala, which is inf- involved in emotion. So that goes crazy. And so that's why when you're tired, you're cranky uh, because that part of your brain is overactive. And in mental health, <laughs> I don't want to okay. point any fingers, but I don't think Anthony slept very well last night. <laughs> oh, well, he's still recovering. He's still recovering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, and there's a part of your brain called the hippocampus, which is involved in memory. So mm. that gets your, your short-term memory is affected as well. So there's just so many. Here's another interesting one. Uh, infertility goes down when you are um, not sleeping well. And the one that gets men's attention a lot, and I don't ask me how they, they work this one out, guys, but testicular size goes down as well. So how about that? <laughs> How about that? I'm just making a note, mate. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that might get your attention, but uh, but you know, I'll be interested to. I haven't read the uh, methodology behind that one, but uh, you know, so much goes on. You're more susceptible to absolutely every disease, both mentally and physically. That's amazing. I guess what I might do now is start to head you in a a trajectory of of where your real profession lies, and that's in dentistry. Look, it'd be really good just initially to, to know what, what is the difference between conventional um, dentist and a, and a holistic dentist? How, how do you best explain that? I guess the best way of describing it is that a holistic dentist is a dentist with attitude. And, uh, and, and the attitude, but the attitude is that, you know, like most of my work, almost all of my work is occurring in the mouth. I'm a dentist, you know, that's what I do. But my attitude to what I do is different. And that is, I recognize that that mouth is connected to a whole body. It's the gateway to the digestive tract. So if you think chewing your food and breaking it down for absorption is important, then a well-functioning masticatory system is important. It's the gateway to the respiratory tract. So literally, the size and shape of your mouth determines the size and shape of your upper airway. So if you've got narrow mouth and crowded teeth, which interestingly, 90% of the population Mm. in our modern world do, and we can talk about why, but if you've got a narrow jaw and crowded teeth, then you have a narrow upper airway, which predisposes you to dysfunctional breathing and certainly sleep disordered breathing, of which there are over 80 conditions, of which snoring is one just one. So it's the gateway to the respiratory tract, the gateway to the digestive tract. It's the site of the two most common infections known to man, woman and child, and that is tooth decay and gum disease. And interestingly, and this, I'm guessing that there could be a lot of people listening to this that play contact sport. One of the things that isn't well understood, even if you are wearing a mouth guard, is that if you receive a blow to a tooth, then the nerve in that tooth can die without you even knowing it and you end up with a chronic infection at the tip of your root that you have absolutely no idea is there 
until your immune system starts to become compromised and then out of the blue, and it's not out of the blue, out of the blue, you appear to have a dental infection. So dental infections are linked to a whole range of system, systemic health, cardiovascular disease, stroke, cancer, diabetes. As well as that, it's the most sensitive part of the body. So there are so many nerves in this place, in this mouth, that if you're out of balance, your body compensates. So when you're talking about chronic musculoskeletal pain, like headaches, neck aches, back aches, if you are a clencher and grinder of teeth, particularly at night, then that can affect the healing of chronic long-term musculoskeletal problems. And then there's a whole issue around biocompatibility of materials. As a yeah. profession, we implant more materials than all other health professionals put together. That sounds pretty impressive. I'm not even sure whether it's true. But, you know, we put a lot of material into people's bodies in the form of fillings, crowns, implants, dentures. So we want to make sure that that material is compatible with good health. So that's kind of a holistic approach. And, 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 you know, look, as a dentist, we work in this incredibly confined space. It's really finicky work. It's really challenging work. And it's really easy to get lost in it, to just focus on it. But a holistic approach recognises that there are all these other factors that are going on. Let's go way back. Did you start uh, as a holistic dentist? Because I know uh, reading your uh, last book, uh, A Life Less Stressed, you talk about Western A. Price and now, Western A. Price pretty much changed my view on the whole food system. Uh, listened to a, a lecture by Sally Fellon, who's the president of the Western A. Price Foundation, and that was given to me by our good mate Aaron McKenzie. And yep. after watching that, it just changed my view on uh, the food system and the food that we put in our mouths. When did you um, listen to him or study him? And tell us a little bit about Western A. Price. Well, before I got on to Western A. Price, which I did in the early 90s, in the early 80s, about a year or so after I graduated, I rather surprisingly found myself treating people with headaches and neck aches. And I wasn't expecting that. You know, like I, I, I did some minor adjustments onto a person's bite and they came back later. They said, look, I've had this crown in my mouth for the last five years and it's been really uncomfortable and I went, I looked at it and I adjusted it and, and it was more comfortable. And she came back a week later and she said, I said, how is it? And she said, it's fine. But you know what happened? This headache that I've had coincidentally for the last five years has gone. And I thought, wow, I, what, what's that all about? And, and, I real, and I learned that there's an aspect of dentistry called jaw joint dysfunction that looks at clenching or grinding and, and postural stuff. And I got involved in head and neck pain. And that led me into nutrition, and I did my first nutrition course in 1981, and I've been studying nutrition ever since. But Weston A. Price was a particularly interesting guy because he was a dentist that was looking for the cause of tooth decay, and he travelled around the world visiting all these traditional cultures and, and found that when they were on their traditional diets, they didn't have any tooth decay but they also didn't have any of the chronic diseases of Western civilization. This was in the 20s and 30s. Yep. And what was also interesting was none of those people, or rather all of those people, had enough room for all 32 of their teeth in their mouth. Now, what's the significance of that? If you've got enough room for all 32 of the teeth that you've evolved to have, 
then you've got a big mouth and you've got a big upper airway, nasal passages, sinuses and pharynx. And, and it's like, look, you know, we've just come to accept that as normal, um, you know, that we don't have enough room. So what he found was so much more. And then what he also did was he looked at people who had moved down the road, so the same cultural group, the same genetic group, had moved from their traditional diet into towns or cities and, and within years, within a year or two, they had rampant tooth decay and gum disease and diabetes and, and you know, they developed all the chronic diseases and within one generation, they had narrow jaws and crowded teeth. So what he realised, then he took all the samples from all these different areas uh, he went to the Eskimos, he went to the American yeah. Indians, he went to South America, Polynesia, uh, Australia, um, Switzerland, uh, the New Hebrides, the, the Hebrides, all over the place, and he got all the different samples of food and he compared them to Western diet. Remember, this was in the 20s and 30s. Yeah, amazing. Um, so soils have got a lot worse since then. Yes. Um, and what he found was they had three things in common. They had... 10 times less vitamin, water-soluble vitamins and minerals. They had four times less fat-soluble vitamins, which are vitamins A, D, E and K, and you need fat-soluble vitamins to absorb your minerals and your yep. water-soluble vitamins. And the best sources of those fat-soluble vitamins was from animals raised on healthy pastures. So this, this was really a breakthrough. And I mean, this guy was a dentist. And, he, and, and I reckon I, I describe his research as probably the most important bit of research that was done because it teaches us that nutrient-dense diets are really important and Western diets create problems. And, and, you know, that was just looking for tooth decay. So true. And it was almost, you know, 80, 90 years ago and it's more relevant now. Absolutely. You've, you've followed him quite a bit, haven't you? Absolutely. I had an autoimmune disease before I was introduced to Western Aid Price approach to eating rather than diet. I think it's an approach to to lifestyle and eating. And Anthony, fortunately, I got the sack and I got to meet Anthony. And, um, yeah, it, I don't have that autoimmune disease anymore that I was supposed to have had my whole life and I was yep. supposed to have had for the rest of my life. And... and I guess that ties into a question with uh, the holistic approach to dentistry and we look at modern medicine. It, it's done some amazing things, right? Uh, it, it has some incredible capacities, but I, I guess what we're learning as we evolve even further in, into modern medicine, it also has some shortcomings that perhaps have been ignored and the, the, the significance of someone like Weston A. Price and, and what he researched Maybe it sounds too simple, but while we can acknowledge the, the amazing things that modern medicine can do, well, what are the things in, in modern medicine and, and including dentistry what can't be done in the approach that's been uh, pursued at the moment? That is just the big question, Matt. That is a huge question. It's a really important one because, listen, um, when it comes to crisis therapy, um, there is just no better place to be than in our Western medical model. And there are some amazing people, amazing techniques, amazing facilities. I've got a huge amount of respect. My family, myself, I have benefited from them. And, and you know, I thank, I thank them life-saving stuff we're talking about. So when it comes to crisis therapy, there is no better place to be. 
When we get onto the subject of chronic disease, that's a different story. Because I think what our current health system has become is a chronic disease management system. And that is a very good um, economic model. You know, it's a great yeah. economic model fed by, literally fed by the chemical and food and pharmaceutical industry and managed by the pharmaceutical and the medical industry. And it generates literally billions of dollars. And yes, it keeps people alive, but it's a very symptom-based approach to healthcare. And, and it doesn't really take this holistic view. And you're a good example, Matt. You would have probably been given some corticosteroids to help control your, your, yep. your autoimmune condition. And, of course, long-term corticosteroids creates a problem with your immune system, which makes you far more susceptible to infections, a whole range of other things that, that you would get another medication for, and then you would probably not be sleeping all that well, and so you'd start to feel tired and depressed, so you might go to the doctor and get an antidepressant, and then you might have reflux from all of these medications, so you'll go back to the doctor and get an antacid and a protein pump inhibitor, and that will affect the calcium absorption, which will cause you to have osteoporosis. And so you'll go back there and get a Phosphomax to have the osteoporosis treated. And for every one of those conditions, there's another medication. And that's a great economic model. The problem is that it's not a very good health model. Yeah. And, I, and I truly believe, and you know, you're, you're saying oversimplify, I truly believe that as our world that we're surrounding, that surrounds us becomes more and more complex, the solutions are actually remarkably simple and they're yep. cheap and they're cheap. So I think we have a long way to go. And this current crisis that we're in with the pandemic is a really good example of this. Mm. I mean, I think what we have done as a society in Australia is extraordinary. You know, we have listened to expert advice about a pandemic we knew nothing about. And we had no idea the impact that it was going to have on our health system, whether we could cope, all of that stuff. And we locked down and the community supported it. And it was just an amazing effort on everybody's part. So I think that was entirely appropriate. But what's really annoyed me during this time, and, and I'm actually president of that college now, Anthony, the, the yep. College of Nutritional and Environmental uh, okay, Medicine. Yep. And I've written letters to... Um, Brendan Murphy, to Greg Hunt, to the TGA, to the RACGP, uh, the AMA, I've written letters saying, hey, what about people's immune system? I mean, if people who are immune compromised are more susceptible to the complications of this infection, why don't we focus on people's immune system? And now we've got a global audience that is focused on health yep. like never before. This is an incredible opportunity to do good things. For example, vitamin D, which is a, a, a vitamin that is pandemic in its deficiencies, yep. affords us tremendous, um, you know, there's good research to support that. Vitamin C in the use of, like, with pneumonia. When you go into pneumonia and you have IV vitamin C, that has a very positive effect. There's some mm. great research going on in New Zealand and around the world on that. So I get a letter back saying, I'm sorry, there is no evidence to support vitamin C or vitamin D's role with COVID-19. But the very next day in the newspaper, I read, we're going to have a crack at hydroxychloroquine and see whether that has an effect. We're going, yeah. to, have a, we're going to have a crack at dexamethasone and see whether that has an effect. 
we're going to have a a crack at all these other things. So, yeah, I think we have a real problem with our healthcare system. Uh, I think it's brilliant. I respect those brilliant people that are involved in it. But I want to get away from this us and them idea. I want to find out what's best for public health and take the best of pharmaceuticals and the best of Western medicine and take the best of our immune system and supporting the immune system and put them together and come up with a really good health model that's good for our health. That's a great one there because it's always when you see people, you talk to people, they're on a holistic page or other ones on a conventional page. But to merge them both is the ideal world. And it's, it seems like that they're always fighting against each other where it shouldn't be. Have you, have you seen the holistic model change over the years? Is it improving? I know there's a lot more people talking about it and getting involved and wanting more information. But from, say, from the top level uh, people, is, is it changing a bit? I think there is a groundswell coming from below. I'm, I did a podcast with a guy by the name of Alan Savory who talks a lot about holistic land management and there is a lot of similarities between holistic approach to agriculture and holistic yeah. approach to healthcare. That's another rabbit and what, Warren. And what he, that's right, we could talk about that. But, but, <laughs> but what he said was if you're expecting the change to come from above, you could be waiting a long time. And by that I don't mean God. I think he's talking about, you yeah. know, governments and regulatory bodies. Why? Because they're very slow to accept new information. There's a lot of reputations and egos involved that have been built on that very information, yep. and, and they often lack common sense, and a lot of common sense is involved here. So unfortunately, what I'm seeing at the very highest level is the status quo, which says, you know, look, it's like with this, let's wait for the, um, for the white knight of the pharmaceutical industry to, to ride in and give us a vaccine, and then we'll be fine. Until then, yeah, yeah. until then, wash your hands, stay inside, and yeah. wait for us to save you. And yeah. I hope there is a vaccine. I'm not critical of vaccines, but I'm just saying there's a hell of a lot more we could and should be doing. And I think we should be more inclusive, collaborative, and proactive. They're the three yeah. words that I think encapsulates our approach at the college. Inclusive, collaborative, and proactive. In your book, A Life Less Stressed, on, on the back of those three pillars, you, you then talk about five you know, key approaches to, to being less stressed. And let's be honest, stress is one of the biggest causes or impactors on the immune system and one of the biggest causes of death and disease on the planet, right? I think that it, yep. I think it's probably number one on the podium. So we've already talked about sleep and, and that, that was a great insight. So what are the other four that, that you really focus or get people to focus in on to to improve their holistic health? Yeah, well, I think I see life, I think you've got to take a step back from it all um, because it can be confusing, it can be contradictory. There's a lot of confusing public health messages. So the way I view it and what I talk about in my book and in, in presentations and my podcast is life is a balancing act. It's like a balancing beam, if you like. On one side, there are those things that can break us down, compromise our immune system, And stress is one that encapsulates that. But if you're going to solve a problem, it helps to know what the problem is. So Mm. when you're looking at stress, you have to break it down. And I've had a five stressor model that I've used in my practice for almost 40 years. And it says stress affects our health. Yes, we should reduce the stress in our life. Yes, but we need to focus on it in this way. There's emotional stress. There's environmental stress. 
nutritional stress, postural stress, and dental stress. So that's one side of the balancing beam. On the other side of the balancing beam is, okay, if on the one hand I'm going to minimise my stresses, how do I build resilience? And I build resilience by focusing on five pillars of health. You know, just the way I've got five and five, it's because I've only got ten fingers, so I have to keep the model very simple. Um, but anyway, the five pillars of health are sleep, breathe, nourish, move, and think. And, and so, you know, we've already talked really a little bit about sleep and breathe in many ways, and breathe is a whole other story in itself. But nourish we've touched on as well, and move is something that, you know, is really uh, important. And actually, uh, I found, I find uh, our, our common friend, uh, Aaron McKenzie from Origin yep. of Energy, I mean, we were talking before we came on, many that I honestly, and I think you'll agree with me, believe that... Uh, Aaron's approach to movement and health in general is not just one of the best in Australia. I think, now, you know, globally, he's a, he's a real expert. So movement has been largely informed, but it doesn't have to be complicated, you know, um, and think is also another part of it. So it's the balancing act and actually the, the pivot, the fulcrum around which this beam works is your genes and how they express themselves, genetics and epigenetics how your genes express themselves. And so that's the model of, of health that I think is a really good model for approaching, you know, asking all the right questions and focusing on how to approach it yourself. I guess I want to ask you one other question because I'm picking the vibe up from you, uh, Ron, is, is that you also enjoy life. You're not sitting here, um, even though you're, you're very very well versed in what you're sharing with us, there's no doubt about that. You understand the, the implications of this. But you're not sitting there pointing the finger down the, uh, the camera telling us you need to do this. Or So what role do you see you know, enjoying life in, in all this as well? Yeah, look, it's such an interesting one, Matt, because um, enjoying life, you know, like I think uh, if you had to work out what the meaning of life is, I thought we might just get Hang that on. one. More, more <laughs> notes. <laughs> yeah, we, just, we might just get this one knocked over real quick. I thought you covered it with testicular size <laughs> earlier on. You what mean there's the more to life, life than that? <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, well, we, there is actually. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, if, you, if, I had to, if you, I had to answer the question, what is the meaning of life, I would say it's about fulfilling your potential. As far as I know... I could be wrong here, but as far as I know, we only get one shot at life. And, um, you know, if we are going to have one shot at life, I reckon doing the best you can, being the best you can be, is a really good thing to aim for. And that means different things to different people. I mean, being the best partner, being the best friend, being the best husband, wife, father, brother, uncle, whatever, being the best footballer, being the best dentist, being the best coach, being the best lawyer, whatever. Um, you know, being the best you can be is a worthwhile thing to aim for. And in order to do that, I think enjoying good health is central to that. So that's something that, you know, whatever being the best you can be means, fulfilling your potential, whatever that means, focusing on health's a good one. And so 
I think, you know, in order to enjoy life, you know, well, expressing gratitude, being grateful for what we have, having the energy to enjoy life, that's another really important part of it. That has a huge impact on your mental and physical, well, your mental and emotional well-being. So, yeah, look, I, I think um, I've been very fortunate in my life. I've, I've been um, on a journey of learning and and one of the things about learning you know this is one of the good things about doing podcasting because i've done a podcast for five years and i just learned so much each week i get to ask i ask people who know much more than i do questions and they answer them you know (laughs) and and i learn from it and so the more you learn the more you realize you don't know and not knowing something can be really threatening to some people and they will defend that at all. You know, they'll defend what they're saying. It has to be right. I have to be certain. And I think there's something about uncertainty and admitting you don't know something that's actually really exciting and empowering and opens you up to a whole range of ideas and people. So that's been a really important part of my life, just, uh, just acknowledging that I don't know a lot of stuff. There's a saying that I love, there's two ways of learning, uh, one through awareness and the other one through suffering. Uh, some mm. of us get out of balance with that. I, I tend to learn from the second way more, <laughs> more than I should. But we've got no choice, right? There's sometimes we're going to experience adversity in life. Uh, what, what are your learning experiences from your own personal adversity and, and how do you apply that on the positive side of your life? Gee, wow, that's, I mean, that is really a big one too. Um, actually, you're asking some really deep and meaningful questions here. Um, I'm a deep, I'm a deep oh, dude. Deep and meaningful, mate, deep and meaningful. Yeah. Don't you hear the testicular you know, size? <laughs> look, you know, I, I think it's about keeping an open mind. I think that's a really important part of it, not expecting everything, every minute of your life to be good and then feeling that it falls apart when it's not. I mean, you know, we have our ups and downs and how you approach those downs are actually probably one of your biggest learning experiences. You know, like, for example, um, between our two daughters, I've got two daughters that are 34 and, and 30, and between our two daughters we had a stillborn, and I wasn't expecting any of that, and I just wanted to get on with it. You know, like once once yeah. it happened... I just wanted to say to my wife, I said, Layla, come on. Okay, we'll pretend, we'll get on with it and try and be pregnant. My wife said, no, no, we're going to go for grief counselling. I said, grief counselling, you know, ladder. So we went for counselling and it was my first introduction to therapy and I really resisted it. I really resisted it. But I learnt so much from it. It was such an amazing experience that I learnt so much from that, not only from the actual experience of therapy, but from the fact that something that I really resisted, I opened myself up to and so many good things came from it. And that really informed a lot of where I went from there whenever I was faced with something. And, you know, like anybody, the family, you know, people, families, people die and you grieve that and you learn about grief and you learn that you can get over the grief and and so I guess it's just a really keeping an open mind and, and, and being grateful for the time you have when you have it and uh, be prepared to, for the next, the next hurdle. And, and I'm under no illusion. You know, like I, got, I actually got prostate cancer five years ago. Yeah, I was going to ask you that because you, you're pretty open with that in your book and, you know, you've helped many of people over many, many years and then on your 60th birthday, you get yeah. handed that news. Tell, tell us a little yeah. bit about that. 
Yeah, well, look, to be honest, um, I mean, I'd already been writing part of my book at that point. Yeah. And so it didn't come as a huge surprise to me for various reasons. One, my, my father had it when he was 60. My brother had it when he was 60. My uncle had it and died of it. Um, so, you know, I kind of wasn't a total surprise, number one. It gave me a newfound respect for family history, you know, because we always ask that in, in, you know, medical histories. Do you have a family history of? Oh, that's so interesting. You know, but it actually does count for something. It doesn't make you a victim, but it counts for something. Yeah, true. But pretty amazing and, and, that all on their 60th. Yeah, year. yeah, 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 absolutely. And then I look at all the things that I cover in my book about the environmental stresses that we are exposed to, yep. you know, the chemicals, the radiation, the mm. air pollution, the water, you know, and I kind of wonder, and I know that one in two, this is a rather sobering statistic, but one in two men, one in three women will contract cancer by the age of 60 or 65. So I looked around my mates and I said, okay, well, you know, hey, I've taken one for the team, guys. I hope you guys don't get it, you know. <laughs> and, and, um, and, but, but, you know, so it's, it wasn't a total surprise. And, in fact, I think uh, it's a testament to the human body and our resilience that we don't all have it. And, and maybe, maybe that's another story. So, and then that led me down the path of what do you do about it? And when you get into the subject of prostate cancer, it's a particularly interesting one for men particularly to discuss, but of course that has implications on both your sex life and your uh, capacity, you know, your, your continence. And, and that opens up a whole range of th discussions. And actually what I found in my surgery was that when um, that happened, I started to, you know, pa patients go, oh, I heard you had this and that. I had it too. And it started conversations with a lot of guys in my practice of similar age to myself and older where I actually had to ask my nurse to leave the room. And we had some really interesting and deep and meaningful discussions, which were surprisingly intimate. And, and, and you know, it does raise a whole lot of challenges. Um, I have been reasonably lucky in the sense that I feel I've made a probably a 90% recovery from where I was. Um, yep. I have to be particularly careful with alcohol. I mean, I... I used to describe myself as a social drinker and would sometimes describe myself as too social. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I'm a guzzler and I could drink I, and I could easily yeah. drink, but I can't do that anymore. My body tells yeah. me that very clearly and that's probably a good thing on many other levels because there's nothing good yeah. about alcohol. Yeah. You know, I mean, anybody that's gone off alcohol for a week or a month, you know, I'm going to go alcohol-free, dry July. You know, as soon as you do something like that, you realise how ubiquitous alcohol is everywhere. So, um, you know, it's taught me a lot um, about about how lucky I am. I mean, I have an incredibly, I have, I've just celebrated my 35th wedding anniversary. I've known my wife for 40 years and we're better mates now than we've ever been. I, you know, I love her dearly. And she's been incredibly supportive through this time. And, and, and you know, it brings out the very best. And it brings out the very worst. And, and I think, uh, you know, if you've got good support around you and you can talk about it, because men yeah. don't talk. Yeah, you know, yeah. we, we really don't, aren't good at talking. Um, so, so it's been an interesting experience for me. So did you obviously t change some uh, of your environmental toxicity or nutritional, even though you've, you sort of knew about that uh, beforehand as well? Well, yeah, I think um, 
at around that time, I, I was also embracing, although I have actually for the last five or 10 years, probably the last 10 years embraced low, a low, lower carb, carbohydrate approach yep. and, and um, their whole concept of intermittent fasting, which is very powerful yeah. because, you know, when you fast, your body starts to clean up dead cells and faulty cells and yep. so there's, that's a good time to be doing that. So fasting, yeah. you know, like when in human history have three meals a day and two snacks been the norm? Oh, that's true. You know, <laughs> this is another example of a great economic model but not a very good health model, you know. So, so there is that. I've, I've embraced intermittent fasting a lot more. I, I, do, two, I do one or two 24-hour fasts a week. I, I, I eat in an eight-hour window or six to eight hour window. Yep. I, I um, you know, I'm very religious about going to bed early. I mean, yep. sleep is like I'm usually in bed by nine or nine thirty. That's good. Um, yeah, <laughs> it, it is good. And, and really, I used to be that twelve or one o'clock guy. You know, so yeah. I, I know where people are coming from. There, I'm trying to build meditation into my life. I know it's good for me. I yep. know I should be doing more of it. I've got an infrared sauna at home now. Yeah, you know, nice. just just behind me on the on the yep. on the porch out there, I've got a, a one person infrared sauna. And dentistry is a bloody dangerous job. You know, there's a there's a study that comes out every year in America, U.S. Department of Labor. They look at 950 jobs in America and work out which is the worst job for people's health. Now, in 950 jobs, you can imagine which ones they cover. I mean, they cover every one of them from, you know, a coal miner, a, a garbage collector, a, a surgeon, mm. or this or that. One, two, and three, dental nurse, dental hygienist, and dentist out of 950 jobs. So, yep. you know, and that's just on the basis of exposure to microbes, exposure to toxins, exposure to radiation, and being seated for the day. They don't even factor in the stress. So yeah, even, right. even when they haven't factored in the stress, <laughs> dentistry comes number one, two, and three. So it's a bloody dangerous job to be doing. So, you know, I've done a few things. It's still a work in progress. I was just going back to the intermittent fasting piece because I've sort of practised it the last three or four years through Aaron McKenzie again. Yep. Uh, but I would have loved to have played around with it when I was in playing professional sport. And we were talking before the podcast about dentistry and sports performance if you want to yeah. little talk a little bit about that um yeah. that side yeah. of it which you know in, in professional sport everyone's looking for that one or two percent edge that could be the difference look um you know this is interesting because i like i was saying to you guys my partner in the surgery and my nephew actually dr lewis Ehrlich, is the uh, official dentist for the football federation of australia and we've been talking a lot because I've been involved in this chronic musculoskeletal pain holistic approach for 40 years and now he finds himself as the official dentist of the FFA. So <laughs> this is a great opportunity because we've kind of been workshopping before he really gets into it about how oral health can impact on sports performance and particularly mm. football. And actually the interesting thing is um, I guess there are, there, are th there are three or four things. One is the infection stage. And we were just talking about this before we came on, and that yep. is even with mouth guards, it's very easy to get a knock to a tooth and that tooth can die 
and you can end up with a chronic abscess in your tooth without you even knowing about it. You wouldn't even know it. 90% of dental problems have no pain associated with it. But when your immune system goes down, you might be travelling overseas, as happened at the Socceroos' last overseas trip. I think they lost a couple of players a few days because they had dental infections that yeah. they didn't even know they had until they were tired. So that is an important thing for people to be screened for, particularly in heavy contact sport, even with mouth guards. So there's one thing there. The sleep and the breathing part is a very big part of sports performance. And actually yeah. the whole story about breathing, whether you are a mouth breather or a nasal breather, is critically important to oxygen exchange and sports performance. For example, look on any football field and what will you see? you'll see footballers gasping for breath yeah. with their mouth open panting, pushing out carbon dioxide, lowering their carbon dioxide in their lungs, which affects their oxygen exchange. So it's counterintuitive. If you can be doing more nasal breathing, you will have more oxygen available for energy. So there's one thing there, putting aside what goes on at night when you're asleep, yeah. the quality and quantity story. But the other one is an interesting one too, and this came quite unexpected to me about 15 years ago when I was using a lot of different orthotics in the mouth, you know, like not just mouth guards but mouth uh, appliances that you use at night to take oh, yes. the clenching and grinding out. And you can demonstrate very quickly, if you get that right, that piece of plastic that you put in the mouth, you can improve core strength quite dramatically. And, you know, I'll have, to, I'll have to come and demonstrate that to you one day because I can't do it online here. But I, I believe, and Lewis and I are exploring this, that, yes, a mouth guard is important, but you could build so much more into that mouth guard by getting the, it, it properly adjusted and you could demonstrate literally from one second to the next of an increase in core strength. I think there are three things that I would take away from this uh, you know, for sports people about oral health. Number one, I mean, I'm putting aside you should be getting a checkup to see whether you've got tooth decay or gum disease. I mean, that's a basic. Mm. But for a footballer, be it soccer, league, union, it's so easy to get an elbow or a blow, even if you're wearing a mouth guard to a yeah. tooth and you just jump up and run on. You haven't had a tooth broken or knocked, but that trauma could kill the nerve in a tooth up to five years after the trauma, and you would have no, no, no idea at all until your immune system becomes compromised, which yeah. overseas travel when you haven't slept well, you're in a foreign land, you're eating foreign food, you're out doing this and that. So it wasn't surprising that the Socceroos lost a couple of days there. Um, yeah, that's yeah. number one. So get that yeah. checked out. And what we're using in our practice now that has, over the last 10 years, has totally revolutionised our approach is the use of 3D x-rays. Put that aside for a moment. The other one is breathing. Are you a mouth breather or are you a nasal breather? You can improve performance dramatically by focusing on nasal breathing and that just doesn't happen by mini, breathe through your nose. You know, that takes a bit of practice. That takes a bit of practice. And the third thing which we're exploring is the not just having a mouth guard but having a mouth guard that has built into it a balance that gives you better, better uh, core strength. I'll have to look into that for the, the roosters, mate. I, yeah, Trent <laughs> Robinson will be ringing you on a tick. I've got absolutely... <laughs>
zero doubt about that. I said Trent Robinson will be giving you a call about the course. The, the, I'd, I'd happily talk to Trent. He's a lovely guy. We'd do it over a French meal. He wouldn't mind that at all. That's at it. All. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> we'll also have to put you in contact with one of the change room mentors, Nam Baldwin, around the breathing piece because I, I, I can definitely see you two guys being able to collaborate on that. Totally, he, yeah. He's amazing. He, he's, he's in Aaron's category as far as mm. you know, being an amazing human, being able to impact people's you know, health and well-being and, and performance. So, yeah, that would be a, a great one for you. Well, Minnie actually dropped in on me there because that was the question yeah. I was going to ask. But if we extended that and I said, okay, if people tuning in here, there was going to be three or four things that they did every day to ensure that their oral hygiene and their, their dental health is is maximised, what, what would you recommend? Well, um, I've already covered the sleep one, which is an important one because that impacts your immune system. But keeping your mouth shut while you're asleep and while you're breathing is important because a dry mouth makes you far more susceptible to tooth decay and gum disease, quite apart from what mouth breathing does to your body chemistry. Okay, so the way you breathe is important. I would also focus on a, on a nutrient-dense diet. And, and what does a nutrient-dense diet mean? Really simple, really simple. And that means you, you have um, uh, healthy fats, Healthy fats are critically important because we need them. That's what Western A. Price found. You know, you need healthy fats to incorporate the minerals and vitamins you need to be healthy. So this whole idea of demonising animal fats, again, a great economic model, a great way of selling crappy food or putting a heart foundation tick on an Uncle Toby's bar because Mm. it's got low fat in it, but... But, you know, just, yeah, you could shake your head at that. Don't even get me started on that one. But, yeah. but, but just healthy fats, which means fat from healthy animals, olive oil, macadamia nut oil, avocado, natural fats. Stay away from seed oils. This whole, yeah. you know, sunflower, safflower, canola oil, you know, again, good long-term benefit on the shelf of the supermarket but not in a human body. Mm-hmm. And fats mean you don't get hungry. So you don't eat more than you need to eat. Healthy protein, you know, grown from ethically grown animals that are pasture-fed and finished. You know, what is good for an animal is good for us and what is good for the animal and us is usually good for the planet. So that's a win-win-win. Animals have been demonised and I agree, factory farming of animals is bad. Um, I think vegetables are good. You know, uh, above ground vegetables, particularly lots of colours, but they're not without their problems. Vegetables have some problems if you're sensitive to them. They're things called oxalates, phytates, uh, FODMAPs, you know, salicylates, uh, (laughs) lectins, lectins, you know. So vegetables are good, but you need to take them with a grain of salt, which comes to the next one, which is salt. Another one that's been demonised and not all salt is the same. Saxa yep. table salt is not the way to go. That's only got two or three elements in it. We actually need 50 or 60 elements to be healthy and in Himalayan rock salt or Celtic sea salt. So yep. salt is an important part of our diet and water is still the best drink. And in my own home, I produce uh, high quality, ultra pure mineral water every single day by having a reverse osmosis water filter on my tap and then adding a few grains of Himalayan rock salt or Celtic sea salt into the water and yeah. be- You should move in together. <laughs> Fair income. Well, 
Well, that, that's all, that's, you know, that's what I talk about all the time as well, obviously through Aaron and, and my yeah. learning there and, and obviously continuing to learn. But obviously the change room, that's what we talk about. It's the quality of your produce and the quality yeah. of, of anything that you're putting in your mouth, on your skin, drinking, yeah. whatever. That's the most that's important right. because if Absolutely. we're eating poor quality food, drinking poor quality water, then it's going to have a, an effect on us uh, health-wise as we age. And the last two things I would say about oral health is this. The way you, not only what you put into your mouth obviously has an effect, but we live in the real world and we're not always perfect. I know that may shock you guys, not even I'm perfect. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it's, yeah, you got to have a good balance. You got to enjoy yourself at times. You okay, mate? (laughs) What do you mean? You're not perfect. Are you okay with that? I'm not perfect. No way. <laughs> I'm not perfect. I mean, you know, listen, I think I think it's a percentage game, you know, and, and you've got to work out what your percentage is. Correct. If, if what you're doing is 50-50, 50 good and 50 bad, I don't think that's a good percentage. I don't yep. think 60-40. I don't even think 70-30. I reckon 80-20 is achievable. I reckon 90 – when I'm on fire – 90-10. I'm 90-10. Yeah. If I ever get to the point of being 100%, no one wants to be near me. I'm, yeah, I'm, you know, you know, no one wants to talk to me. So, <laughs> so, but, you know, that's important. So mm. finding that balance. So, so looking after you, oral hygiene is critically important. That, well, that's what I'm saying. We live in a real world. I still enjoy a dark chocolate or a drink. So you've got to brush your teeth and floss your teeth regularly. And yep. the last thing I would say is get yourself thoroughly checked out because – People think if they don't have pain, they're yeah. fine. And Correct. 90% of oral health problems don't have any pain with them. It's like cancer. Imagine if I went into my oncologist and said, and he said, Ron, how are you? And he said, and I said, I'm fine. And he said, great, well, come back when you're in pain. Like, oh, hang on. And I go, hang on, hang on, that's not the way to go. Or I go and see my... my my cardiologist, you know, my cardiologist. Yeah. I'm going to see Ross Walker next week. I'm yeah. not going to walk in there and Ross is going to say to him, you're fine, come back when you have some pain. You know, there's uh, more. There's much more to it than that. So, so you know, get yourself checked out. I love it. I love it. Well, Ron, you've a uh, wealth of knowledge, mate. It's been a great podcast. Just to finish on uh, our last question that we all ask all our guests, um, your three key points for a healthy and happy life. Do you have three or you have more? Yeah, look, I think it's basically, uh, okay, I can pick three easily. Of course, I could pick 10 if you wanted me to, (laughs) but I'll pick three. And the the, the first one is that your health is just too important to leave to anybody else. You've got to take control of it yourself. Now, if you couldn't be bothered, hey, no problem. There's a whole industry waiting to embrace you with open arms. And thank God it's there, but I'd prefer, and I've used it, but take control of your own health is number one. Number two is understand what it is you're dealing with. You know, understand the five stresses that can break you down, understand the five pillars that can build you up and work on them on a daily basis. And the last thing I would say is express gratitude. Express gratitude regularly and, and, and often. And, and, you know, that is an incredibly powerful thing, good for your own mental well-being. If you happen to express it to someone else, it's good for their mental well-being as well. And yep. we do have a lot to be grateful for. So they'd be the three things that I think would set you up well. Well, can I express our genuine gratitude, Ron? On, on, that was amazing mm. to be able to you know, ex- exchange those ideas and wisdom with you. And I know that anyone watching this or listening to this is is going to extract so much out of it. There's just 
It, what, what, what you just reminded me of there is, is it's, it's the simple things, not the complex things in life that make the biggest difference. And you know, I am genuinely gra- grateful for that, that's for sure. Is, is there any way that we can sort of put people in contact with you to ensure that, that, that if they've – I've got no doubt you're, you're going to strike a, a chord in a lot of people here. So how, do, how best do they contact you? And, and I can't wait for your next book. It's got to be, that, yeah, be coming soon? out soon. I'm actually working on it, to be honest. Uh, but, uh, um, yeah, look, the, the, I've got my website, which is drronerlich.com, and that's D-R-R-O-N and Ehrlich, E-H-R-L-I-C-H.com. And there's a lot of stuff on there. We're, we're putting together a, a whole new program over the next few months, online program, and we're building community and, and we're getting some great people on to help with that program. So, yeah, that's a good way to connect. Oh, we'll definitely attach that to the show notes for yep. sure. Thanks, well, thanks. Dr. Ron, I appreciate your time, mate. Uh, thanks for sharing this morning and uh, have a great day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Change Room Podcast, a whiff of well-being with Minnie and Matt. For more information about The Change Room, please head to thechangeroom.info.